welcome to another episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. Yes, it's coming to you live from New Digs here outside of lovely Franklin, Tennessee. We've got the band back together. Well, kind of. It's kind of like the Monkees on tour in 2015. Uh, the cast has changed somewhat. But it's kind of like a combo with the monkey playing drums, though, <laughs> being me. Well, I, I'm Nate Larkin, uh, here with our co-host from the West Coast, Aaron Porter. Hello, Aaron. Good morning. And uh, new, In New Diggs, Tennessee. I like it. <laughs> how, how is there no town in America called that? It's the best name ever. Yeah. <laughs> And the new voice, that new Stentorian radio voice, that's Mark Whitlock. Hey, and we're actually in Mark's living room. That is, uh, that's the studio. We're also in Mark's bedroom and Mark's kitchen. <laughs> since he has a one one room space, but yeah. uh, that's okay. Glad I to like have you guys though. here. Yeah, yeah. Well, brother, how's it going out there in San Luis, Aaron? That's you've been good. You've We've, been fighting yeah. the bug, haven't you? Yeah, we've had some sickness in the house. I have been under the weather. But, uh, yeah, all in all, good. Love this time of year. Like it a little cold. It's nice. Actually wear pants for uh, my two months out of the year. So it's exciting. I remember I have pants. Yeah, well, it's always a relief uh, when you're out here when you actually wear pants. Um, <laughs> it's... I mean, I'm not, I'm not wearing pants right now because I'm obviously <laughs> in my office and it's warm. And that's why this is an audio podcast. <laughs> Meanwhile, so you've got cool weather out there. We've got this ridiculous warm weather in Tennessee. It's bizarre. We're having a nice spring this winter. (laughs) Not that I'm complaining. I am not a fan of the cold. Uh, I I do not wish for a white Christmas. And it looks like my wish will come true. It's going to be brown. Yeah. (laughs) But with blue skies. There you go. It's pretty outside today. Uh Nice. Well, today uh, I have heard that we're going to do a little step talk. Uh, But before we do, Nate, can you explain just uh, for listeners who don't do Samson groups, they might not understand that there are seven steps to the path. Yeah. Now, how how did you even come up with that? I mean, this isn't like the 12 steps, is it? Or is this, were you remaking this so you could put your name on it? Uh, yeah, it was all about not violating copyright. No, that's not true at all. <laughs> Actually, we call them stages rather than steps. Uh, and part of this was, for me, just a little bit of an end run around frightened evangelical Christian churches that preach that 12-step recovery is sub-Christian, anti-Christian. Um, I'll tell you what. My spiritual life was saved. My Christianity was revivified. My life was saved through 12-step recovery. I met Jesus again in 12-step recovery. And I know that um, the spirit of the gospel lives in this path. I also know, uh, I learned from reading AA history, that the 12 steps themselves are nothing sacred. In fact, the first time that Bill Wilson drafted them, there were six Huh, and then in consultation with uh, Sam Shoemaker and some other uh, uh, leaders, Christian leaders, Calvary uh, Church in New York, he broke them down further from six to twelve. So there's nothing sacred about six. 
Um, he also omitted from the steps some stuff that is now regarded in 12-step recovery as absolutely essential. One of the first things they told me when I came to a 12-step meeting was, you better get a sponsor because mm. if you don't have a sponsor, you can't get sober. Well, the sponsor is not even mentioned in the 12 steps. Right. Um, so in reformulating the, the, the stages of the Samson Society, which, by the way, I mean, you know, I, I played kind of a drafting role, but I, I didn't do this all by myself. I did this in consultation with Scotty Smith, my pastor, with Bruce McCurdy, the head of the counseling center at our church, uh, with, uh, oh, this is terrible, Mike. Uh, yeah, Mike. Anyway, uh, we worked, uh, actually, the the uh, the charter of the Samson Society went through 16 revisions before it was put in its final form and voted into effect by the Samson Society late in its first year. Huh. At any rate. Um, Which, by the way, it is good enough that uh, when we had to do our bylaws and everything when we planted the church seven years ago yeah and we put in a statement of faith we put in the samson fact that is the statement of faith at our church there you go that's awesome that's <laughs> awesome. so it's such a great concise gospel statement without <laughs> yeah. any extras yeah and that's one thing that we really wanted to do with the samson society you know in 12-step recovery they've got two sets of 12 they've got the 12 steps and then they have the 12 traditions. And the traditions really are kind of the, the, the rules for how uh, the organization operates, what it is, what it isn't, what it does do, what it doesn't do. And uh, so we have the parallel to that in the Samson Society. We have the pact. Uh, one thing, though, that 12-step recovery does not have is a statement of faith. For a good reason, I might add. But that reason doesn't hold for a company of Christian men. So I'm I'm going to read through the path, but first I need to read the fact. Yeah. Because uh, I think that is going to be important for listeners to understand. So here's the fact. The fact is God exists in the timeless mystery of the Trinity. He is perfectly harmonious, perfectly whole. God is our creator. He designed us to live in eternal harmony with him and each other and to care for the rest of his creation. Spurning God's fellowship, we have all sinned, forfeiting our created place and losing our spiritual lives. I myself have personally defied God's laws and rejected his love. Alienation from His from him has produced darkness and chaos in my life, for which I have often blamed others. God has continued to love me. Even in my active rebellion and in Christ has done everything necessary to restore me perfectly to himself. As I accept responsibility for my sin and find forgiveness in the finished work of Christ, I experience reconciliation with God and am progressively restored to harmony with myself and others. Despite the lingering effects of sin, I am a restored son of the Sovereign Lord whose spirit is at work in my weakness, displaying His glory and advancing His kingdom. Amen. Amen. <laughs> So the first the first stage of the path uh, is, number one, believing the fact. That's what I just read. I surrender to God in simple faith, making no promises, but merely asking for his aid. So step one is really coming out of denial. Yeah. And realizing that it's, uh, I need, it's kind of combining coming out of denial and 
looking to the higher power. Sure, yeah. Kind of combining those two. Yeah, it's really a combination. If you're looking at the 12 steps, it's a combination of steps one, two, and three. So step two, I start attending meetings of the society or similar, and from its members I select a Silas, a trustworthy traveling companion for this stretch of the road. So we uh, talked about that last week, uh, having somebody, at least one person, preferably more, that know our whole story. In honest detail, step uh, stage three, in honest detail, I describe to God and to my Silas the course and consequences of my attempts to live apart from God. So this is really, I tell my whole story. Um, uh, this is not just saying where I'm at now, but going backwards a little bit for our Silas so that they get our whole context. That's some detail work. In a way, uh, th- that includes a lot of what in 12-step recovery would be steps four and five. Stage four, encouraged by my Silas and others, I develop the daily disciplines of prayer, study, self-examination. I abandon self-help, asking God instead to do for me what I cannot do for myself. All right, so we got to pause here because I, I find this one... Mm, Interesting, possibly confusing, which is why we need to unpack it today. Uh, I am developing disciplines, daily disciplines, prayer, study, and self-examination. But it's not self-help. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, this is, here's the question. What is my role in recovery? I know that I can't recover on my own. I don't have the resources to do it. I can't do it. Uh, on the basis of my own willpower, eventually I will run out of steam. Uh, I'm limited and I'm broken. And my sinfulness eventually will come to the surface if I'm left solely to my own devices. So God's got to do it. But at the same time, I do have a part to play. Uh, there, I still am called to obedience. I'd like to take a quick left turn here, if I can, Aaron, uh, to bring in a a blog to, was sent to me this week from one of our listeners. Uh, the uh, it was written by Tim Challies, friend of ours, uh, and this is his blog for the fourteenth of December, twenty fifteen. It's titled "Hold On." I am a quitter. In some ways, I am at least. There are parts and places in life where I will maintain a stubborn determination to the end like, say, this whole blog every day thing I've been doing. But there are others where I give up, where I can quit too easily. And one of those places is in the battle against sin, certain sins anyway. I believe that God blesses obedience. I believe that God has blessings stored up for those who are faithful to obey His commands. He's a good God who loves to give good gifts to His children. I want those gifts the most precious of which is that closeness, that relational nearness to Him. As I put sin to death and come alive to righteousness, I find that I draw ever closer to God so that I know Him better and trust Him more. Conversely, when I ignore sin, foster it, or refuse to confess it, I find more and more of that disquieting sense of relational distance. Of course I do. Because sin is always aimed at God, always aimed at declaring independence from Him. The joy of obedience is the joy of nearness, 
The curse of disobedience is the curse of distance. I want the blessing and the joy that comes with obedience, with conformity to Christ. The question is, do I want it enough to endure temptation for it? I like to obey when obedience is easy. I like to obey when obedience is a matter of a quick and simple yes or no, and when it's a matter of refusing those things that are not much of a temptation anyway. But what about those times when obedience requires endurance? What about those times when the blessing lies on the far side of a long, alluring temptation? That's exactly when I am tempted to quit. And in those times, I need to remind myself to hold on. I need to cling to God's promises. I need to remind myself of the joy that waits on the far side of temptation. I need to assure myself that obedience is worth it and that disobedience always disappoints. I speak often with young men who are almost drowning in sexual temptation, and I want them to know that God blesses obedience, but that blessing comes after endurance. Blessing is waiting beyond the temptation. I want them to know that if they just endure the temptation, they will learn that God's promises are true, that He really can and does satisfy. But if they sin now, if they succumb to the temptation, they will never know, they'll never learn, they'll never experience that sweet joy and fellowship. I speak often with people who are battling other sins, sins like anger perhaps. When they are experienced the temptation, it seems like satisfaction will only come by giving in. They are in a situation where they're being needled, where frustration is growing, where tempers are fraying, where it seems for all the world that they can only be satisfied if they blow up and vent some steam. But once again, God promises there is greater satisfaction in obedience than in disobedience. They have to endure to discover it. They have to hold on. God wants them to cling to His Word for just a little while, and then they will see. But they won't see if they won't hold on. Again, the blessing is just beyond the temptation. I speak often to myself in those areas where sin is especially tempting to me, and I remind myself that I need to hold on. I think sometimes of Jacob, who had to wrestle with God all night before he would receive his blessing. Like Jacob... I want my blessing now. But sometimes God gives the blessing only after I have endured. And when I do endure, I invariably find that God's promises are true, that His presence is near, that obedience was so much better than disobedience. I am never disappointed. <laughs> well written, well read, snaps, snaps from the coffee shop. <laughs> <laughs> so it, this is a good place to start with obedience obviously step four is talking about disciplines uh, yeah. specific disciplines but it starts with a resolution for obedience so can i uh throw two things out that came to mind while you were reading please do yeah the blog the first is that correlation between blessing and obedience uh i think for a while 
I think I mostly grew up thinking of obedience in a very karmic Christian way, which mm-hmm. most Christians are karmic Christians. Uh, we think in terms of one-to-one reaping and sowing. Yeah, if yeah, I yeah. disobey, God will get me here. If yeah. I obey, God is required to ob- to bless me here. Yeah, And that's that's called karma, not Christianity. And even reaping and sowing, what is, that is not karmic. You reap a very small thing, and then there's a long period of nothing happening, and then you get a watermelon right. that's much larger than you uh, than you put in the ground. So I, I think of Elijah first. I love Elijah, which is why I named one of my sons Elijah. He it's a good thing you didn't on... love Habakkuk. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> it's true. Uh, see, now my mind's going there. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so Elijah breaks in the scene. We don't know who he is. He just shows up to King Ahab and declares to him that it's not going to rain because of their sin. He might have just been quoting Deuteronomy where God straight up said, if you worship gods from other lands, I will not make it rain on your land. Yeah. Um, Or did God tell him to say it, or was he just trusting Scripture? We don't know. We just know he shows up and starts a prophetic ministry. So this is day one of the prophet. And day one, he confronts the most powerful man in his universe. Now, that should be followed up by, I don't know, a book deal, maybe a speaking tour, something. And God says, okay, good job. Now, go run away to a brook I will show you and hide. What? How's that step two? Step two sucks. How long? For like two weeks? No, it's going to be like three years, Elijah. Now go. Yeah. So the the brook he shows him is the brook Cherith, uh, which is out of the way, not too close to his home, and he has to sit there alone for a year and a half. And from there, God feeds him miraculously, ravens bring him food, water coming out of the rock, even in the midst of drought and famine, he is cared for. Now, the question I had to ask myself was, did he have to go there? He could have gone back home. Would he have just died if he didn't go where God went? No. Most of the people in Israel survived during the three years of drought and famine. Elijah could have survived. He would have scraped together a life just like everybody else. He would have found some way to just get enough to eat or drink, drink the muddy water, uh, whatever. The correlation between obedience and disobedience and blessing wasn't he can't survive. It's that he wouldn't have had a miraculous life with miraculous sustenance. Yeah. And I think when I don't obey, when I get in a pattern of not obeying, I feel like I'm still alive. It's not killing me. But I forget that I'm drinking muddy water and scraping together food from the garbage, and I haven't yet experienced what it is to have miraculous sustenance. God still cares for us in our disobedience, but he wants to give us something more. Well said, Aaron. Well said. Yeah. So that that's the first thing that comes to mind. Um, if I can jump in on that a little bit, there is sometimes this magical thinking, and I like your term, karmic thinking, that comes into play. Christians especially will bring this uh, into recovery. If you come into recovery thinking that I'm going to get a one-to-one instantaneous return, it's transactional, um, there are men and women who will come in, finally face their addiction, confess, 
begin the process of uh, making uh, clearing away the wreckage of the past. Uh, they're truly repentant, <clears throat> and um, and instead, by uh, by all outward appearance, it it looks as though their life, instead of getting better, gets worse. Uh, people don't respond. They don't get a party for having. Uh, nobody throws a party because they've they've finally repented. Uh, everybody they've injured doesn't magically uh, forgive them. Uh, the jobs they lost are not instantly restored. Uh, life can get pretty ugly in the months and sometimes, in some ways, at least in the months and even the years. Um, after we begin this recovery journey, it all it depends largely on what we're counting. Um, I get my spiritual life back first. My experience is my spiritual life came back first. My marriage was very much in the crapper for the first few years of recovery. I'm fortunate that my marriage survived, uh, but what was the best day of my life was the worst day of Allie's. When I finally mm-hmm. got honest, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, the hope that I had, uh, it, it, actually, it seemed to make her pain worse because I was always trying to tell her it was going to get better, which her, sounded to her uh, as though I was denying the reality and the legi- legitimacy of her pain and fear and anger. Um, yeah, but I still like Tim's. Uh, I love. I love Tim's point. Uh, go ahead, Aaron. What was the second thing that struck you as well, I read it, it the goes, blog? It goes with what you're saying. It's the setting of expectations yeah. with obedience. Um, expectations are really important. Uh, anyone in recovery knows the definition of uh, expectations is pre-meditated, uh, premeditated resentment. Premeditated resentment, <laughs> yeah. one of the best lines ever. Um, so what are my expectations if I'm not going to go the karmic Christian route, if I'm going to expect that sometimes obedience will cause uh, hard things to come to the surface? Uh, what should I expect? So um, this is this is how we describe it in our circles. That obedience is a lot like dating God. So I I occasionally date my wife, uh, not as often as I would like to, with four kids in the house and limited budget. But I I do. But when I date her, my expectations were always like, oh, this is going to be romantic. Romance will ensue. I am going to be making out by the end of the night. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's the yeah. goal of every man dating his wife. Yeah. Uh, for those women listening, can you just work on that a little bit? That is the <laughs> expectation of your husband. So, anyways, what would usually happen? One of a few things would happen. We'd go out to a coffee shop or restaurant, and because we finally had time together, it would end up being a parent staff meeting. Where it would just be like, okay. So who are the kids going to hear on Wednesday? You know about that? And the parent-teacher conference on this day. And it would be just kind of stressful but necessary. And by the end of the time, we'd be like, all right, let's just go home. Yeah. Or we would get together, and she and I would have some built-up issues in ourselves. And so we'd get in some of the biggest fights we would 
be in for the month would mm. be because we went on a date and had time to talk about it. Yeah. So that really sucked. There was never any making out at the end of that. Um, the third thing that would most often happen is we'd get in the car. Where do you want to go? <sighs> no kids. Hey, do you want us to go to Costco? It'd be so much easier to be at Costco without four kids with us. Yeah, all right. So then we go to Costco, and the entire date is shopping for groceries that we didn't want to have to deal with kids. Now, none of these were, uh, they were all slightly disappointing, but they were all practically important. But then sometimes we would have an amazing time of connection and, of course, end up making out. So what does that have to do with obedience? Absolutely everything. Every time I get a choice to obey or disobey, the question is, am I willing to date God on this? Will I say, hey, God, I'm going to go with you? What that does is create the time and space in my life for romance to happen with Jesus. If I decide to disobey, then I'm filling that time and space and spiritual energy with something that is not connecting with God. Yeah. But when I say yes, I open that space up. Now, what's going to happen in that space? I don't know. Just like dating, I better not sit around thinking that it's going to end in making out every time or I'm going to get resentful and upset, which, by the way, Christians get resentful and upset with God all the time yeah. when obedience doesn't turn out the way they want. But even when romance doesn't ensue, it was worth obeying. Something good and practical was happening in my life by obeying. Yeah. But but then those magic times when we obey and the Holy Spirit increases our love for him or other people, like something happens. It happened because we made space for it to happen. It, it wouldn't have happened if we hadn't made that space. So then obedience becomes the selfish pursuit of God connection. And that keeps me from ever making it legalistic because I'm, I am free to do whatever I want. All things are permissible for me. Yeah. They're not all beneficial. So I am free to see obedience as the selfish act of wanting to connect with God and hoping that this date it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Wow. You know, I, when you got started on that, I kind of winced a little bit, the idea of dating God, but I like it. That's Aaron, good. Aaron had his Wheaties today, I think, because, wow, we, he's two for two. <laughs> great analogies and great great stuff. Yeah. All right. So, so, now, so now we get to the discipline part. Talk yeah. about your stage four now that we've laid that foundation. Yeah, daily disciplines. First of all, the, we cannot overstate the importance of that little word daily. If it's important enough uh, that Jesus included it in the Lord's Prayer— the wording of the Lord's Prayer makes it implicit that it's a prayer we're to pray every day. Give us this day our daily bread. So I cannot, uh, what I would like to do is I would like to say, give me my daily bread for the week. I'd like to go to my Monday night meeting and pick up my bread for the week, get all the recovery I need for the week, and go meeting to meeting. But that doesn't work. It absolutely does not. Um, so I've got to be... Um, connecting, uh, obeying, following, surrendering, leading on a daily basis. And for me, I've got to, uh, what I have found is that what I don't structure doesn't happen. What I don't plan mm. for, mm. What, I, what I don't plan for does not happen. Uh, that's why um, 
in classic 12-step recovery, whether you're in AA, GA, SA, OA, really doesn't matter, you get started. One of the first things that your sponsor is going to tell you is the last thing you do before you go to bed and the first thing when you, go, you do when you get up is you hit your knees. Um, now, that's a, that's a pretty good, that's a daily cue, it's a mark. If I find myself getting into bed and I have not hit my knees, uh, you know, before I drift off, uh, I can crawl out of bed for a second and and with my and physically uh, portray my surrender to a power greater than myself and uh, give gratitude for the day. Um, and uh, ask for a good night's sleep, and ask God to remind me to pray in the morning. And that's that's such a great for anybody wanting. It's not even just addiction recovery for anybody wanting to connect with God. If they follow that pattern of even the Lord's Prayer, I love the Lord's Prayer yeah. because it's such a prayer of surrender. Yeah, uh, Je- Jesus wastes his best line at the beginning. Our Father who's in heaven, our Abba, our Daddy, yeah. who's holy. Like yeah. he addresses God with both extremes of intimacy and this reverence. Yeah. But then he blows the best line. Our Father is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, that should be the closing line, right? I've yeah. asked for all this stuff. I've said all these things. Now, as a tag, uh, y- y- whatever you want, go ahead. Yeah. But to preface all prayer with i want your kingdom i want your will frankly screws up a lot of what i planned on saying next (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's true so if i begin and end my day with prayer i am beginning and ending my day with stating my desire or my desire to have desire for god's way and his will yeah 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 so good so what do i say I mean, when I hit my knees, first thing when I get out of bed and last thing before bed, because I mean, I meet guys all the time who, you know, they joke and say, look, I don't even get the words to the Lord's Prayer right. The only time I ever pray is at the meetings and I mm-hmm. don't even get the words right. So help me out here. What, yeah. what is prayer? Because, you know, it's all screwed up from my past or I didn't grow up in the church. I have no concept of prayer. You know, either way, guys are lost. I think Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is where I would start every man, and probably most women. I don't know. Women can have it too. Uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 simply says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Okay, that's big, churchy, and nebulous. Next part, do not lean on what you think you know. Okay, now we're getting practical. When I think I know something, that's when I don't look to God. I don't have to. I know it. So, Trust the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on what you think you know. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Well, what's it mean to acknowledge someone? If Bob walks in the coffee shop, it means I raise a hand and say, hey, and then keep doing what I'm doing. Acknowledgement does not have to be a lengthy uh, ecclesiastical deal. It's simply saying, God, I acknowledge you're here right now. Uh, Help me out. That can be the best prayer. If that prayer came up 10 times in your day, your day would be utterly changed. Trust in him with all your heart. Don't lean on what you think you know. And in everything, give God a, a hey, I know you're yeah. here. 
Boy, three for three. I, I like that. Yeah. Excellent. Well, what would you say to the guy who's like, what is prayer? What do, what do I say about that? Yeah, it would. It's a. I I love that Aaron has uh, focused on that word, acknowledge him, because for me that is the that is the crucial point in prayer. When I, uh, for a moment, take my eyes off myself, uh, my own fear, my own plans, my own you know self-centered, self-directed life. And acknowledge that God is present, that He loves me, that He is ultimately in charge, uh, that He cares. That's prayer, and and um, for me, then the conversation is typically short. I don't have long conversations with God, and they can go in any number of directions. And I hesitate to give too much prescription to anybody on what they ought to say to God. The most important thing is that we engage in the conversation, um, that we speak our heart, and that we listen with our heart, uh, which is a difficult thing to describe. I don't know. I get this strange thoracic response when I pray. There's something that goes on right down here in the heart someplace uh, when I am making a, a true uh, spiritual connection. That's the most peaceful place I know. And it is during those times of connection or shortly thereafter that typically I get the inspiration that turns out to be crucially important. Mm. There's a practical thing, Mark, that we can hand to people. I think I've, I think I've talked about it on a podcast before. I think it helps with learning to meditate and to pray. Uh, and it goes like this. You print yourself out the 23rd Psalm on a piece of paper. If you know it really well in like King James because you quoted it in some church growing up, fine. Uh, print it out in the NAS or in the ESV or the Message or the Living Bible. Print it out, put it next to your bed. When you wake up each morning before you allow yourself to get out of bed, unless you have to pee bad, and then you go pee and come back to bed and don't allow yourself to get out of bed, this can be a very manly, like, I'm not, you know, give yourself a rule. I am going to read this until I know what God wants me to understand for the day. Now, that sounds utterly mystical, and I love it for that. How will I know? Oh, you'll know. There are mornings where you will sit down or you'll be laying in bed, you pick up that piece of paper, and you only get as far as God is my shepherd. And and you go, oh, okay, thank you, God. Boom, I'm ready, I'm done. Sometimes I have to read the whole thing six times, seven times, and that's where the meditation's coming in. And then somewhere in the middle of that, he's making me lie down. He's making me lie down and green. Okay, God, thank you. And I just know he wants me to slow down and rest. He's going to make me slow down and rest because he loves me. And I thought I would get tired of the 23rd Psalm. I have done that for huge stretches of time, and never have I lost interest in what God has to say through that. Anybody can do that, and it develops a discipline that you do every day and you see that you can hear, like Nate said, your heart's ears 
will start to become attuned to what the Holy Spirit wants to tell you. Very good. All right. And just uh, as a way of being practical, I'll have uh, some stuff on the 23rd Psalm you can download from the show notes, as well as a connection to the article on obedience that we read earlier today, uh, just to make it simple to have, have you guys be able to, to get that, to go ahead and get started so you don't have any excuses. Uh, you can download the 23rd Psalm and get right to it. <laughs> hey, Great. So, so are you, you going to put that in like a number of different translations so they can pick one that surprises their minds and hearts? Yeah, I did that recently for our Monday night group. I printed out the 23rd Psalm in, in six different translations, so I'm just going to post that PDF uh, on uh, on the show notes uh, for guys to have so they can look at it from uh, a bunch of different perspectives. So that's a great great idea, Aaron. How do you know, Nate, when you've crossed the line from being disciplined to being legalistic? Oh, I'll tell you what. Part of it is when my expectations begin to ratchet up. Uh, <clears throat> when I am doing it uh, not out of love or out of uh, gratitude, uh, but in order to evade punishment or to get some kind of reward when I've stepped into that uh, quid pro quo place with uh, God. That's, that's great. Those are the two things. That's amazing. Yeah. I'm either trying to avoid punishment or displeasure Yeah. or get some reward. If that's why I'm doing what I'm doing, this is now a legalistic, pharisaic practice. Exactly. Yeah. That's great. And so then I have to shift my mind back to, I just, I just want to have some romance with God. I hope, this, I hope it happens. Yeah. And if not, it will later. Yeah, exactly. So you've got prayer, meditation, daily disciplines of prayer, meditation, and self-examination. So we did, oh, study as well. Prayer, study, and self-examination. Yeah. And so why the word study? Is that on purpose or was that? No, no, it is. A synonym it is. of something else? No, no, it is. Uh, and that is, um, I need to remind myself that uh, I, need to, uh, I need to listen to the wisdom of others. And um, I, I've got I've to have good material come. I've got to be feeding my mind good stuff on a regular basis. Uh, and that requires a, a, a decent reading list and setting aside time each day to be reading something, some kind of gospel literature, recovery literature, uh, a, a devotional guide. Uh, I don't – when I say study, it doesn't necessarily – at least in my mind, it doesn't imply – you know, I don't have to become a scholar necessarily. I don't have to go to the original Greek and Hebrew, but I've got to be willing to become a student to listen. Uh, it might mean listening to a podcast or a, a good audio book. I've got to have some fresh input every day. So, so you're not necessarily meaning Bible study. You're just meaning right study on the road to yeah. recovery. And what I've found, frankly, is that because I grew up around Bible study, because the, the, the ruts run so deep in what I've been taught is correct biblical interpretation, and a lot of that really will carry me away from the gospel. Uh, it amazes me how the Holy Spirit can preach the gospel to me through sources that are extra-biblical. Uh, this marvelous thing, God, you know, this, this general revelation, God's uh, common grace— uh, how uh, I'll hear the gospel 
and, and the light will turn on for me spiritually, often through something other than Scripture. I Let me throw out one pushback, and maybe we'll find that uh, there's a middle ground that'll satisfy. Um, I've known... I've known folks who use studying as a way to hide uh, from community. I represent that remark. (laughs) And and in some ways hide from themselves. Um, That if I would rather every person connect with their day and the people in their day more than get any new information. Like if I had to pick between the two, and I don't have to, so yeah. it's on either or kind yeah, of. Yeah. Um, but I've also found folks that will read a book a week. They're proud of that. I read a book a week, but then they later get frustrated because every book they find stuff that was true and good, but it hasn't transformed their life. Yeah. Because they're having so many new thoughts all the time, they don't ever have a chance to apply it long enough. I'm a slow learner. It takes me nine months to a year and a half with one thought before I see that thought becoming automatic and coming out of my life. So, and maybe these things are just me, um, but we've got the self-examination piece coming up. And I think the study or listening to a show like this, this is all part of self-examination. But I need to make sure that my self-examination doesn't take me back into a place of self-centeredness. So how, how do we avoid study and self-examination from becoming uh, my justification for selfishness? Well, I think that's where the role of a good Silas is absolutely critical. Um, I cannot be in charge. I can't be my own spiritual director, really. Uh, I can't, I can't uh, be... I'm responsible for my own recovery, but the problem is that all alone I walk in circles. And if I could study my way to recovery, that really would be my preferred method. <laughs> um, and I really thought at the beginning of this project that uh, really I just lacked information. Uh, I now know that's not true. At the same time, though, uh, I do need to. Be, uh, I've, so I've got to maintain an openness a teachability, a willingness uh, to listen to other people. But I also have got to be frankly honest in my conversation with my Silas, uh, letting him know where I am intellectually, you know, uh, mentally and emotionally, as well as physically on any given day, uh, so that he can tell me, he can really question me when I've just gone all introspective or when I'm beating myself to death on uh, on a self-examination jag that I'm just not nearly as gracious with myself as I am with everybody else. Yeah. I don't know that anybody can maintain his balance in this process alone. We have to do this together. Or maintain his balance for any length of time at all. Yeah. I mean, this is this is like standing on in the middle of a seesaw yeah. in a windstorm. Um, that's what recovery feels like to me. Um, and I'm grateful for the guys that are around and the study and the other things yeah. to help me stay balanced. Yeah. Uh, and something that I learned, I, you know, I, I mentioned that study for me can be almost like an addiction. Uh, I moved to Nashville uh, and to work at Thomas Nelson Publishers, and I became the senior acquisitions editor for Biblical Reference. Oh, so okay. I spent all day, every day, 
around biblical reference tools and trying to help people learn how to study the Bible better. Yeah. And the number one problem is that people wanted to know the Bible, but they didn't want to know the God of the Bible. Right. They wanted to be able to find verses faster. They wanted to be able to uh, understand, uh, you know, infralapsarianism versus superlapsarianism better than they wanted to know who God was. And Wait, were those were those from the Marvel comics or DC? <laughs> <laughs> I, I always get confused. United yeah. United Comics. <laughs> uh, no. uh, you know, so it, it's hard to to get there, but it, it, and that to me has always been the thing that I've had to bring myself back to uh, to key off of Aaron's uh, your uh, reference about dating. You know, if I talked to all of my wife's friends and got to know them and what they thought about my wife, that that might be helpful. But yeah. I've got to listen to my wife. Yeah, and the same thing. There needs to be a balance. Uh, between in my life, uh, and I'll, I'll just say in my judgment, uh, between listening to what other people say about the Bible and yeah. actually reading the Bible, I've got to I've got to find that that's standing on a seesaw in the windstorm for myself when it sure. comes to study, because I I will too often get over and I want to know what X Y and Z says about the scriptures and about that as opposed to getting to know God better. Yeah, and I'm not going to get better. I'm not going to get farther down this path without knowing the God who says, come be with me. Hmm. Let me throw a bone out to those uh, that are not readers. Um, Not that you can't read, but you just don't connect to reading. Uh, For 2,000 years of church history, your brothers and sisters in Christ were largely illiterate and or had access to almost no books at all. They might have a book or two throughout their life that they reread and reread and reread. The scriptures were given on Sunday, and they got to just remember and meditate and think on that throughout the week. And so we must acknowledge that more study and more reading cannot be the answer to an abundant life in Christ, or else it's 2,000 years of people being screwed. (laughs) There is absolutely a way for you to be on this journey, to be connected with God, to be meditating on a simple truth of God throughout the week, to be connected with your community in that truth, uh, and to be totally engaged in your Christian life. So if you're listening to this thinking, I hate to read, I like to read novels maybe every once in a while, maybe not even that. Maybe you just like to read comic books still and your bathroom drawers filled with Archie's. Fine, you aren't at a deficit to be able to have the fullness of kingdom life happening in you. Yeah, preach, brother, and that's why you know we we've forgotten so much of of the wisdom of church architecture. Mm-hmm. It was designed to draw the eyes up, yeah. so that we would we would look high high to the Lord. Uh, the beauty of stained glass windows were there as visual cues to help uh, help those who did, could not read to remember the stories of Scripture yeah. and to see all that. The great art for hundreds of years was designed to, to help us dive in and, and see that. The songs, think about the hymns of John Newton. He didn't just write Amazing Grace. Yeah. He wrote hundreds and hundreds of songs and hymns that we won't know because his, his parish was in a group of illiterate people, and he had to make the Scriptures come alive. So every week he wrote a hymn to teach to his people so they could understand the God God better. There's so many ways to connect with him. Yeah, awesome. music is that's a great suggestion, by the way, for 
prayer, turning our hearts to God, self-examination, study. That can come through good music uh, as well as anything else. Well, I'll tell you what, this this is an awfully big stage, this stage four. Mm -hmm. And uh, I feel like we could devote an entire session to self-examination. Are you willing to at least skim across the top? Okay, sure. Because, I mean, for me, it it becomes navel-gazing to me. Mm -hmm. I end up, you know, not self-examination, but just self-deprecation, self-tearing down. It it becomes, you know, it becomes destructive for me. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, and that certainly is where I began to go early in my recovery. I do remember, I think I've told this story here on the podcast, of doing my first fourth step fifth step i did my self-examination wrote out my fearless searching and fearless moral inventory took it to my sponsor the guy had been sober in aa for 30 years and read to him this massive federal indictment that i had written (laughs) uh, in which i was the most reprehensible person in the world and uh you know i got done and he went well i suppose some of that might be true be nice so you can say it without so much shame he said <laughs> and then and then he wanted to know what was the rest of the story huh. uh, a true inventory uh takes into account not just asset or not just uh assets as well as liabilities right right and um I need always to remember that I am fearfully and wonderfully made, made in the image of God, called according to his purpose, that I am truly a restored son of the sovereign Lord um, so that I can walk head high, not in my own righteousness, but, 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 but in his and confidently in his. If it's up to me to establish my worth every day and that worth is measured by my own performance then i'm screwed mm-hmm. but if i'm truly a christian and um I, and i have this imputed uh non-native righteousness that is mine and i can uh, find my identity there then i can engage in self-examination uh, which which uh, you know this is a written exercise, by the way, self-examination. I don't think we hmm. can really do it well uh, without doing it on paper. And I, I'd love uh, maybe in a, in a later podcast to kind of give some hints, some practical breakdowns for how to systematically kind of do the house cleaning that's essential if we're going to out – if we're going to finally cut ourselves free from those hurts and resentments – that are driving or have been driving our behavior. The way we do it in soul architecture, because self-examination without the gospel is just going to be self-condemnation. Ooh, yeah, write that down. That was good. Uh, So we actually just use cognitive therapy T-charts. So at the top of the chart, we put an emotion like, uh, I feel ashamed or sad because... I'm a horrible father. On the left side is all of Satan, the accuser's justifications that that's true. I should feel sad. All the stuff you wrote on your list, those were all the accusations. Here's how crappy you are. Yeah. And so it could be uh, my wife 
is always angry with me. My kids don't want to spend any time with me. My here are just the facts that, yeah, you should feel sad. You should, all that. But then on the right side of that T-chart, we have to address each individual accusation. So we break it down. My wife is always angry with me. What does my Abba say through the power of the gospel about me in that statement? And so the gospel has to be reconciled to each line of that ledger before I can truly understand who I am in Christ and in practical and detailed, real terms. And by the way, everybody that I've taught to do that sucks at doing that for like three to six months. It is hard work that you need people to help you with because either the accusations aren't tight or the gospel, it's just looking for Bible verses to put on that side instead of God's voice through the person and work of Christ. But when you were talking, that's the component I think most people are missing in self-examination is they don't understand how to apply the gospel to the specific stuff in their heart. And if I only have a general gospel, it'll only touch general things in my life. Mm-hmm. All right. And I think we will, at another time, when we come back to uh, work on stages in the future, we will um, dive into self-examination more Good. and talk more about that. Uh, a couple quick notes. We're not going to be here next week. Uh, as we prepare for Christmas and New Year's. But we would love for you to participate and help us out a little bit. Um, uh, Call 615-807-0476. This number will be in the show notes and on the Facebook page too. 615-807-0476. And leave us one or two of these ideas. One would be, what's the best thing uh, that you've learned about uh, recovery this year? What's the best tip you've gotten or the best quote uh, you've had uh, uh, it happens in our groups all the time. Hey, I, I heard this guy say X, and it, it's just brilliant. Everybody, you know, wants to wants to write that down. What's the best thing you've heard, or the best tip in recovery this year, or what's happened this year? What do you want to celebrate about your story uh, this year? So call six one five eight zero seven zero four seven six and leave us a message. Uh, that's my Google Voice number, so it'll create a, a recording and send me a transcript of that so that we can prepare the show better. If we get enough of those, we'll create a show uh, of those to uh, to share um, over the break. Uh, and if not, we'll come back in the new year and, and feature those so you can hear yourself uh, on the podcast. And just as a reminder, we'll have information about the stages, uh, Psalm uh, 23, and some other cool stuff in the show notes as well. Aaron? So remember, if there's no podcast next week or the week after, it's your fault. <laughs> <laughs> and You're we, the guest next week. Yeah, well, yeah. We'd love to get your letters, too. If you uh, would like to communicate with us uh, via the worldwide interweb, you can send us a note at piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com. Or just write a comment on the Facebook page for everybody to see. All right. Well, time has flown, has it not? Uh, Another hour in the books. You know what? And we did it even without Mondo and Newton, so I'm proud of us. Until uh, until next time, until 2016, I'm Nate. I'm Mark. And Aaron. All right. Uh, we're your brothers here on the Pirate Month Podcast. Yeah. Oh, Cafe and Junior, baby. Preaching recovery.